Hello and welcome to the Jeff Macalino Podcast. I just returned from a uh, weekend up in northern Florida visiting uh, my episode 50 guest and staying with him uh, for his, uh, well, almost birthday. And uh, I think this one will come out on his actual birthday. So happy birthday to Joseph. Um, you know, kind of humorous because... I went and hung out with them all weekend, uh, and the almost the whole rest of the family, um, and of course our interview uh, for the podcast that came out last week was uh, on Zoom. So funny timing uh, as far as that goes. But anywho, fun time, always nice to relax and uh, get uh, uh, away from the the huge city uh, that I I live in, of course. Um, so that was nice, and this episode is nice. This was a, a very fun one that uh, I hope you enjoy. Uh, I am speaking with Michael Brent Collings. Uh, he is a very versatile author. Uh, Michael Brent Collings, uh, now he's an ex-attorney. He quit his job and has become an international best-selling author. Uh, he writes... a. a all across the board, different genres. Uh, he's mainly known as a horror writer. Uh, he actually, on Ranker.com, was uh, rated, I believe, 80th, but in the top 100 greatest all-time horror writers uh, by Ranker.com. So, acclaimed uh, author. Uh, he also has a TED Talk that I watched that was really meaningful and moving, uh you know, check that out as well. You can just look his name on YouTube up and I'll link everything, of course. Uh, but we talk about mental health uh, issues. He's had problems with depression and um, suicidal thoughts and uh, psychosis. Uh, so we talk about that on the uh, back end of the podcast. Uh, really just immensely nice man. Uh, really fun talking with him. Uh, just, uh, one of those people who you, you, you just want to, uh, talk to forever because really nice, nice person. And you can, uh, hopefully tell that in this, uh, in this conversation, uh, because it's just one of those, uh, you, you probably know the types, the guys who just make you feel good when you talk to them. So, uh, fun one. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, you know, do, uh, check out the show notes again for all of, uh, his links and, uh, you know, follow me on all of the, the medias. Um, side note, I, uh, am considering, uh, starting a Twitch channel. I'm still trying to learn exactly what that is. So if you have any feedback on that, uh, or things you'd like to see me do on Twitch, please feel free to reach out to me. Let me know. Anyways, see you on the flip side. Hope you enjoy this episode with me and Michael Brent Collins. Here's an unpaid sponsorship for Frontier Communications. Do you miss dial-up internet speeds? Do you want to see what it's like to live in a world without internet? Do you want an internet provider with horrendous customer service? Do you want to just flush money down the toilet? Well, if so, I have an internet provider for you. Frontier Communication provides internet speeds at literally five one thousandths. Uh, yeah, 
That's hard to say. The speed of its local competitors. Not only that, they charge you more for it. If you miss the days of taking three minutes to download an image of Pamela Anderson for your jerk-off sessions and knowing that you'd never have enough time to download a video, get yourself Frontier Communications Internet. And because you're a listener to the Jeff Macalino podcast, I've got a great deal for you. Reach out to Frontier Communications on Twitter and tell them to go fuck themselves and that Jeff Macalino sent you. And you will be eligible to get the slowest internet speeds at the highest internet price if you live in Pinellas County, Florida. Frontier Communications. Vintage internet. You've got mail. All right, everyone. I now welcome to the Jeff Macalino podcast, Michael Brant Collings. How are you? How's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, it's uh, just another day in the life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with the way the world is that it used to be like, oh, it's just another day. And now it's like, I just survived Thunderdome. It was just another day. <laughs> right. It's uh, yeah, the, the global landscape has changed quite a bit. Oh, my gosh. Seriously. I'm not kidding, man. It does feel like Thunderdome. Like my my daughter was in freaking tears today just going to school because they they changed the mask requirements back and forth and back and forth. And and it's like our kids get emotional whiplash and they're not stupid. You know, no matter how hard we try and protect kids, they're like some weird crap is happening in the world, you know, and it stresses them out. So, yeah, I, I'm just about ready to plant a little tiny person on my shoulders mask up hard and go out and fight mad max it's crazy <laughs> that's what uh that's uh yeah it, it, you almost i mean you are fighting an invisible fight yeah uh, yeah no matter where you stand on on different issues and i i hate that i have to even say that because it's like well, what's what's the issue here folks <laughs> <laughs> oh i know well i went to a comic con a couple months ago and it was the first one i'd been to since you know the universe exploded and it was weird because these are all like we're all here for one common purpose kind of to worship at dorkiness you know and even so it was kind of like oh hey that's a cool you know full metal alchemist outfit you have on where do you stand on masks you know and it was like <laughs> you, you weren't gonna ask that stuff but it was still you could feel this bubble of like let's all be friends by not talking about 80% of what's happening today. Yeah. The, um, the, at a Comic-Con, especially that must be a fun, fun conversation. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it I was so weird. One of my very first, this was back in probably April, 2020 before I, I basically had not left the house unless I was exchanging the children with my ex-wife. Uh-huh. Cause they were in virtual school at that point, but they were still switching households, which, did not go well with virtual school, believe it or not. <laughs> they did. They really didn't think about the uh, the uh, multi-homed uh, children. So, oh my gosh, what a headache! It, yeah, it was in the first quarter of the following school year. We did virtual, and we're and we're in Florida, so it you know that was even optional. That was just kind of a <laughs> uh, you know, it's my mom watches them half the time, you know, so it's like, well, if they're going to be doing virtual school. It, if they're if she's going to be picking them up from school she's not old but she's old enough that it's like yeah let's so yeah that was a <laughs> headache like oh i forgot my computer at mommy's house 
Well, I guess oh you're doing gosh. virtual school on your phone today. I'm not sure. And it's, a whole, and it's a whole new thing. You wouldn't think about it. It's like you don't think about school freezes up less at dad's house. It's like, oh, we have one more thing to compete. Oh, that was, <laughs> that was the other thing is I was I was working from home and, and they couldn't. The Internet at my house was so crappy. I remind myself to add my uh, frontier communications ad that I do in here um, because they were their Internet was so bad and i'm so lazy that it took that because they couldn't do the virtual school they couldn't join the meetings because the internet was too slow right and uh, they could at grandma's house and they could at my ex-wife's house and it <laughs> took that to finally get me to call and be like what is wrong with my internet why can't i stream netflix and they're like oh, my oh because your internet's too slow i'm like well can i speed it up no you can no. not <laughs> you do not have the cables in your neighborhood to support high-speed internet other companies do, but not us <laughs> yeah we have i live in idaho and it's a duopoly so it's like just oh. this race to the bottom of the internet here and we had a similar thing it was like i went out and spent 400 bucks just getting doodads and updating internet stuff just so that my kids could have basic school and then it was freezing anyways and at that point i'm having these like aggressive discussions about whether my daughter's hundred dollar school issued chromebook is the fault i'm like of course it is you know it's like it's essentially an etch-a-sketch with an ethernet port i mean that's all it is and they're still gonna are you sure it's your internet and gosh you know it could be anything i think somebody i didn't practice the right dark rituals this morning and i'm pretty sure that features into it these days i think that affects the wi-fi <laughs> totally does that's a it, it's it's crazy how that works and yeah you're right I would imagine in Idaho you even have I, I just I remember and I I was self aware at how uh, much of a jerk I probably sounded because <laughs> I called late at night and I was talking to someone who didn't sound like he lived in this country <laughs> and I was going on a rant on how ridiculous it is that I can't watch Netflix without it stopping to buffer. And uh -huh. I'm going on this rant and I'm like, I feel like I might be talking to somebody who doesn't even have a television. Right. I hope he's not going home to hunt a rat for dinner. And you're like, yeah, and I like, have a hangnail. I even, I even stopped. I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm straight. I have to go to my parents' house to get on their Wi-Fi to do app updates on my iPhone. <laughs> And then I'm like, I, I got to apologize. I know these are first world problems, but they are legitimate problems where they I are. can't work. I can't log into a team meeting at work because my internet's so much slower than everyone else. I know yeah. it's complaining from privilege. but <laughs> Well, yeah, yes and no. But it, I'll tell you what, every time I had a customer service issue, it did create this whole extra layer because it's like part of my whole platform that I've built as like a public figure as an author is being nice to people. And mm -hmm. I really do mean that. Like, I'm not trying to lie. I'm trying to be a kind person. But if you're calling you know, the help desk, it's because things are not going well. And if it's something that's gone wrong 182 times at the end of a day where it, it resembles, again, we're back in Thunderdome, the kids were trying to keep them from eating each other, me and my wife were fist fighting in the background. And then I'm going like to whoever this poor guy in India is, he's like, I know this isn't your fault but I'm going to yell at you now for the next 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let all my issues unload on you, poor soul. <laughs> oh, I know. It's terrible. And it's such, it's such a vicious cycle. It's like you let yourself go and it just 
gets angrier and angrier. And of course, at the end of it, you realize like you're talking to somebody in a totally different country who is reading off of, you know, a script and they're doing what they have to to pay for their family. And, and then I just feel like a jerk and my internet still doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do always make it a point. This is a maybe a sad uh, narcissistic thing on my end. I make it a point to try to say something to break them. Meaning I, I like to make them laugh, not, not emotionally break them. Break them in a good like way. They're just crying. Yeah, no, no, no. I like to make them go so, because they've got their script, like you said, and I know it, and they're always looking for what, I can tell you're upset, but I like to throw something so off the wall that they definitely don't have off that script that I can hear them just try to hold back the Humbling. Laughter. And I'm like, all right, you know, you know, I'm not that angry if I'm making jokes. Oh my gosh. That's it's a not good, about that's you. a good call. <laughs> that's a good call. I try and say, you know, it's funny. Cause I'm like, I, I do say that I go, I know it's not your fault, but unfortunately you're the face of this hated corporation right now. So I'm going to let all my murder rage come out and slap you in the face. I think your way is better. I'll try that. I'll just, I'll just throw random stuff out. Like, by the way, are you the guy I also order pizza with? Because that whole thing's confusing. Let's talk about that. And just try and turn it into a Domino's order right in the middle of the, you know, of the Netflix discussion. <laughs> yeah, the, I don't know why I've always had this um, instinct, no matter how, I, I remember I got in a car accident and I was fine, but the car was bad and the trunk so was good. smashed open completely and i remember saying to the tow truck driver i he's like yeah give me the key and i'm like do you need the key for the trunk too i mean the back of the car was demolished <laughs> and he just looked at me like what the hell is wrong with you and i'm, I'm just like, i don't know i thought it was funny <laughs> that's awesome I i'm the like one who that. should be upset not you <laughs> that's fantastic we um i actually just my car was murdered last two weeks ago a week and a half ago and it you know nothing can put you in a bad mood quite as fast as that even if it's like it's going to turn out okay because i think the problem with car accidents whenever you're in one with someone else is you have to, this unknown like i could be dealing with mother Teresa, and we're just going to exchange insurance and everything's going to be fine or it's like three weeks later a lawsuit shows up this person's got pictures and a net break and i'm like i i I don't think we were going more than three miles an hour. So it's just like such a stress. It's like, it's like everything about dating compressed into one nanosecond. You know, it's like, I could be out with Jack the Ripper right now. We'll just cross our fingers and hope for the best. Yeah. It's, I actually worked for God, 11 years doing mostly car accident claims. I worked for an insurance company or multiple insurance oh companies. Um, and I had, I had earlier this year, I was dropped off my son. I was driving with my daughter and this guy was at a, I was at a red light. This guy behind me was screaming and throwing his arms around, having a conniption. And I assumed I'm like, okay, I, I, he could be rocking out real hard, but that seems yeah. like he's losing it. Um, there was a box truck in front of us who was driving 20 miles an hour below the speed limit. So I assumed he was screaming at that guy. We take off from the red light and the truck is going slow. And all of a sudden, just bam, so hard that I actually had my hat flew off my head and landed what? in my I because my hair at the time was so crazy that when I went to get out of the car, I'm like, wait, where's my hat? I can't let people see how gross my hair looks right now. My daughter's like, it landed on me. It's, so I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad. 
barely any visible damage. The dude is probably, I don't know. He, he looked like he could have been on drugs. He was very hyper, very nice, really? though. But he was, <laughs> he was a little fidgety. And I'm like, do you, do you have insurance? He's like, no, but I'll pay, I'll pay for the damage. Luckily, it doesn't look bad. <laughs> and he's like, can we keep the police out of it? I'm like, I'm like, let me pop the trunk. I looked, I'm like, yeah, there's barely any damage. He's like, I'll pay. Here's my number. I promise I'll pay if we don't call the police. I'm like, yeah, why not? I, you know, <laughs> I'm like, what, what? I got to drive my daughter to school. I'm not going to sit here for an hour and, you know, oh, totally. know this guy's probably going to go to jail or whatever. Like, <laughs> I know this just goes against every instinct in my body, but I'm not going to get a penny. I, I, I'm just going to ruin your life right. or make your life that much worse. Your life's. His life probably wasn't great to begin with, he, judging yeah. from his physical appearance and his uh, vehicle. Um, and his vehicle definitely took the brunt of it. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'll, I'll get an estimate. And I never even bothered to get an estimate. Nothing. The guy <laughs> never going to pay me. And it was, you know, I know I know well enough to know it's probably a thousand bucks or more, even though it's really, again, you have to really look hard to even see the damage on the right. Bumper. So it's like, yeah, it's I, I know the, the right thing would be to, but uh. it's hard. It's, you know, it, it's this it's this entire ethics class, you know, and, and and you're having a test for it. And the professor didn't tell you it was coming. It's like God's all pop quiz. How good of a person are you? And right. then you just and, have to kind of struggle through. Well, and the, the downside is because I've, I've been like, look, I just. I just didn't make his life worse. His life's probably not going well. He doesn't have insurance. He drives an old car. You know, what's what's going to jail or having his car towed, whatever. What is that going to do? Or or even if it's just a fine, what's yeah. that going to do to make his life? It's not going to help my life. Um, <laughs> then again, someone's like, well, what if he goes and hits someone and kills him with his car and he doesn't have insurance? I'm like, well, he still wouldn't have had insurance. <laughs> right. <laughs> My being nice did not change that. <laughs> I wasn't going to buy him insurance. I'm not, I'm, oh my I'm not that nice. And I know that was not your a moral good failure. <laughs> <laughs> well, we I was sleeping. Um, my wife wakes me up and I'd had a rough night because I have like insomnia and I have some physical and mental health issues that keep me up all night sometimes. So I had just fallen asleep and my wife wakes me up and whatever she does is it's so cute. I, she has this voice that's super tender and sweet. And at this point, after 19 years of marriage, it just terrifies me because I know she's prepping me for bad news. You know, it's like she never goes, sweetie, we won the lottery. You know, it's always like, sweetie, one of the kids fell in the blender again. You know, it's just some terrible news that's happening. So she did. She's like, everyone's okay. The car got in an accident and I'm like, what? So this teenager had come around the corner and like just biffed into my car that was just parked there. And the good news was we had just bought a new car and we were actually not using it. But the bad news is we were going to give it away. Like we had figured somebody out who needed it in our sphere. And it was literally, he was supposed to pick it up that night. So I had to call him and be like, oh, Hey God. dude, remember the life changing kindness we were going to do to you? It was assassinated. <laughs> God didn't want that to happen, apparently. And, you know, and to his credit, he was like, yeah, the universe has spoken. And I'm like, 
dude, you are way cooler about this than I would be. I would be like on the ceiling. You, I would do like a catwalk across the ceiling. I would be so upset about it. Yeah, it's there's something to be said about uh, resiliency in the face. Oh, serious. <laughs> and, and I don't have that. I'm just a big baby. Like anymore, I'm in charge of like a basic couple of things. Like I wake up, uh, I am supposed to go to the bathroom on my own. And then I come out and write books because that's my job. And that's like a 10 foot walk, you know, to my office that we have in the backyard. And other than that, I have absolved responsibility for everything. It's all my wife. Like she comes in, she's like, did you feed yourself today? Did you groom yourself? Do I need to put the catheter in the underpants on again? Because we've got that ready. You know, like I am so hopeless. So like, yeah, it, it, for this guy to go, well, the universe has spoken. I'll figure something else out. I was like, you're my hero. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's uh i i get very jealous i like to i like to act on the outside like that and maybe he was doing the same thing i i like to act on the outside like oh yeah well you know it is what it is right but yeah i You're like I am no problem no problem <laughs> well i'm je- you know and, and go back to what you said i'm jealous of people who can lay down at night and just go to sleep oh Me, my I, gosh like i've got seven gazillion things running through my head and then yeah. uh, I go going further than I should here. I make the mistake of <laughs> when I go to bed completely sober, no drinks. Uh-huh. I just took, I, I took a nap a couple hours ago or I woke up from a nap a couple hours ago. And uh, it's like, why do I ever sleep sober? My dreams get so <laughs> fucked up. Like my my dreams make me literally wake up and be like, is this universe real? Right. <laughs> Is this really me? I don't know what's happening right am I, now. But I am all I it's wrong. an alternate timeline. <laughs> I need to. Well, I tell you, to... I've, go ahead. I've been married to my wife for 19 years. I adore her. She really does. She takes care of me, and she's my best friend and everything. The only time, though, that I I really do kind of deep inside hate her is I look over in the middle of the night and she's like, I'm awake, having the worst night ever. And there's nothing quite as bad as like three o'clock alone in a house full of people. You know, it's like my life is not on hold. Everybody else's gets to have this vacation. And I'm sitting here and I look over at my beautiful wife and she's like, and I'm going, I just want to punch her. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you <laughs> share my pain? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I, I always in my head and I'm I'm aspiring to be a writer, mainly screenwriting. Uh, and I always think, you know, I got to use this insomnia. I should get up and write. Uh, it, it's it's not good. Unless it's I'm thinking, hard. I, I might want to start a separate insomnia project. And I'm like, <laughs> just write your angry thoughts in this journal and then go through it and see if any of it's not gibberish. Yeah, but day. that's the that's the notebook they find after you've killed your seventh person. And you're like, this is the psycho notebook. You know, he just says, my mother was staring at me again, though she has been dead these many years. <laughs> <laughs> because I yeah, yeah, that that is the, in my head, too. It's like, that's why I can't do that. That's exactly why I thought about even doing voice <laughs> memos. But I, I don't know if you've ever done that when you're mm-hmm. in the throes of insomnia. Uh, you sound like you're a serial killer. And oh, my not gosh, happy about seriously. anything. And even if you're trying no, to make jokes, good. you sound like you're you're a real psychopath at three in the morning. When aggressive, you're desperately craving sleep. jokes of a prison shower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
it's oh, you you listen to them on your phone. You're like, oh, delete, delete. Okay, where's recently yep. deleted? I gotta wipe that away from existence real oh fast. Oh my gosh, Seriously. especially today because it's like, remember that joke you said ten years ago to your friend, and he copied it onto Twitter. You're fired from everything. Yeah, and, and which which boggles to me because it seems like the sign of a good person is oh i would never say that today you know like i've improved over time um it's such a weird environment that it's like we expect each other to improve constantly but any evidence of that improvement can be used to damn us forever as well you know and i mean i'm all for holding people accountable for certain i mean listen if you're like sexually abusing a kid i think you should be hung up by your privates using your own intestines and i think that's fair but uh, like short of that there's a lot of things that we can improve on over time and if i say something i can't think of anyone that hasn't said something ridiculously horrifying to someone else at some point you know and it's like when you take it out of context all right i was saying it to my best friend and i meant nothing like this i was I don't know, I was drunk, I had just been fired, whatever, a million things that like, in that instance, it didn't mean this, you know, but you can pull it up on Twitter. And it's like, oh, you just lost your livelihood or something. And I, I that sucks just to have to. That's part of the stress of today is the self censorship. It's not like, do I want to be a better person, which I approve of, we, we should filter ourselves, should I, I want to improve. But it's rather like, oh, am I going to get in trouble for this? Like, is someone going to find my voice memos from 2 a.m. when I was upset at my wife and I'm talking about murdering my my wife? And they're like, and then he hit a dog, you know, and, and it's proof that I'm the worst person ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, yeah, it would probably be I, my my concern. You're right. Ten years later kind of thing. I, you know, I have uh, no sense of cybersecurity. You know, so if I ever got famous, I'm sure someone could hack my phone. And instead of the photos, you'll find more juicy stuff in the voice memos. <laughs> because especially when you're trying to work up, work out stand up bits before you try them in front of anyone. Oh, my gosh. Totally. So you, you'll try some crazy off the wall shit to see if you're comfortable enough to try it in front of other people. And oh I don't gosh. delete that until I've typed it out. And some of them I'm like, I don't even want to type this out because it looks worse than it sounds so oh i'll just keep gosh. it as a voice memo for now <laughs> that's awesome it's like your phone gets hacked and like, look jeff is having sex with a zebra and they're like that's nothing listen to this joke he told it's ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> at least if at least if it's in my voice i can be like look see i was clearly trying to test out a joke if it's in words it's like oh yeah just lock me up i don't <laughs> they don't translate well i used to be a lawyer before i like switched to full-time writing um, yeah, I was a lawyer and that was one of the first things I had to learn. Cause I, I do say, I try and put people at ease. Like I was the dorky kid in high school that had trouble making friends for a while. And so whenever I go to a party, I immediately gravitate to the person who's saddest, you know, it's like, Oh, Michael Brandt, where's he with the depressed person in the corner, you know, trying to convince them not to cut themselves, but dance a little bit. Cause like I've been there. And so I would go into a court of law and everybody's terrified. I mean, like the lawyers are nervous because they've got this massive thing happening that they're going to be blamed for if it goes wrong. Obviously, the people who are suing each other are nervous. The people who are in the jury hate each other. And so I got there and I'm like, so what'd you do this weekend? And my, you know, my 
managing partners grabbing me and going, you do not make jokes. And, and I didn't understand why until he showed me a transcript. And I was like, oh my gosh, I sound like a sociopath, like just mm-hmm. the worst person. <laughs> what, what, uh, what kind of law did you do? Oh, it was like the most boring kind ever. It's uh, construction. Uh, let me see if I can still say it. Construction contract dispute resolution and litigation. So basically like when big, huge contractors when a job went wrong with a hundred different contractors on it, and it's a $20 million thing, the job keeps going, but all of them have to sue each other immediately just to kind of like lay a paper trail. So you're doing this complex litigation with papers. Like we would literally be at, literally be at trial and be getting new documents and just handing to the judge like, oh, this just came in because the job's still happening. So here's yet another thing, yet another thing. And, and it was really stressful because of that. But at the same time, it was so boring. I mean, it's just <laughs> oh, so many numbers. <laughs> yeah, no, that I mean, I being in insurance, I, I dealt a lot with uh, personal injury attorneys. So I'm just mm-hmm. glad you didn't say that. Oh, no, that was <laughs> I'll tell you what the one time, you know, people make jokes about lawyers and and they're funny. But there's a purpose for lawyers and they do oh, yeah. serve some good purposes. So I was always, you know, I was proud of it. I was taking care of my family and I was trying to be an ethical, moral person. The one time I felt like coming home from a thing and just taking a shower was I went to, you had to do continuing education every year to like update. And I saw this one I could get, it fulfilled all my whole year's requirements. So I signed up for it without knowing. And it was a freaking personal injury eternal, or, or attorney uh, um giving a lecture on theater and how to fool the jury. I mean, it was, there was 0% law or justice. It was like, here's how you can hoodwink an 80 year old lady versus a 25 year old white dude. Who's, you know, working at Wendy's. Like you had this whole breakdown of personality types and it all boiled down to ignore the facts, just convince people. It was like taking a law class from P.T. Barnum. It was the worst thing ever. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that's actually a great... Uh, I, I, I was able to go... Uh, going to trial was actually exciting in my job. Um, uh-huh. And it, it was... It was it was a circus. I mean, it really was yeah. like... The, I, I, I said the very first time I went to a jury selection, I'm like, trial's really won and lost on this day. Uh-huh. Nothing else matters. I, yeah, yeah. Very true. Um, I can remember, you know, there was just certain things that happened when I was a lawyer that kind of woke me up. And I've been to other countries and we have the best in the world, I think, which shows you how terrible the rest of the world is. Because like I can remember uh, being at trial and it was it wasn't like a billion dollars, but it was like a million dollars, which is not pocket change. And people's livelihoods are on the line. And I look up the judge is asleep not sort of like a little bit but just straight head back like you know out and the worst part was we looked at the judge's secretary and at the bailiff and they both kind of did the same thing like this happens like they shrugged and they went it's just (laughs) judge white you know and you don't want to be the lawyer who goes your honor are you asleep because then 
Whitney hates you for the rest of it. Oh, he'll be so, active and awake the rest of the trial. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just watching you. And so we put on like an hour of court for a guy everyone knew was asleep. <laughs> we I, I, I'm trying to remember. I wish I'd remember. But uh, there was a video deposition of a doctor that went like two hours. And I was having a hard time staying awake. And I finally remembered yeah. my job was to be watching the jury during this video. <laughs> and it looked like half of them were sleeping and the other half were definitely just looking around, <laughs> just oh, yeah. trying to stimulate themselves to stay awake. <laughs> right. So I went, I was almost on jury duty and it was really funny because, you know, everybody's upset because they've got their lives happening. And I was raised and this is for people, sorry, I hit my microphone uh, for people who believe otherwise, like that's cool. Okay. Um, but I was raised, it's a civic opportunity you know and also i was lucky i was already a full-time writer so i had the luxury of moving my job around and i get there and it's a murder trial and i'm like whoa you know i write horror and thrillers this is right up my aisle i'm super excited and plus i used to be an attorney so i will actually see through the theater and try and do something good here you know and they impaneled me and i was one of the 18 finalists you know like it, it like it's a game show and um they're starting to do these final questions and the judge goes you and points at me and he's like do you think that's an appropriate shirt for a court of law and i had worn without kind of realizing it it was a shirt i said that i had that was like sarcasm is just one of my superpowers and without thinking about it i went I was a lawyer for 10 years. I think this is an absolutely appropriate shirt for a court of law. Oh my gosh. The full sets of counsel could not have stood up to dismiss me faster. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, there's no way they're picking a lawyer. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and, and that was the thing is like, I don't know if they're more worried about the sarcastic loose cannon who's willing to pop off to the judge or if it was just the word lawyer that terrified them. <laughs> it was it was the fact that you could point out things they were not doing correct with their job to the rest of the yeah. jurors, probably. It, well, it's like I imagine it's like if you're a doctor and you looked at your your current patient is a doctor, you're like, oh, oh give me anybody else. <laughs> well, I, I've always, especially when I had the eight to five, I always wanted to go to jury duty. I always knew a civil jury would never pick me with my back. Right. Sure. Civil jury. I'm never going to get picked. I'm like a criminal jury. I'd be great. I just need to hide that. My political party is the libertarian right. party or they'll be like, yeah, oh, this guy doesn't believe in laws. <laughs> well, you know, you just go and you're like, I'd be great on a jury. I can always tell you just look at their eyes, close set eyes, your honor. That's the, that's the tell. And then that's how you get out of jury duty. <laughs> Well, I, I always say, like, I, if I wanted to get out of jury duty, I'd just make sure early on I start talking about jury nullification. And uh, <laughs> they, they won't make you stay probably the rest of the day. They'll just ask you to leave then. Right. That's the. I have a really aggressive view of juries. I think this is really important. And if anybody gets it wrong, I'll murder them. <laughs> I had... <laughs> The, the very first one I went to, the judge would not let anyone, even the jurors who were agreed to be excused, leave until the end of the day. And this was a full uh. nine to five. And one of the people was having back surgery the next week, which was the week of the trial. 
They uh-huh. made them sit in those benches for the whole eight hours. Another person <sighs> was undergoing chemotherapy. No. Actively. Uh, was able to get off that day. And they made them, they immediately said, well, you're, we will not select you. They still made them sit there. I'm like, that's horrible. That sucks. Yeah. And that's, and that was one of the problems I did have is like, I remember I called a, a judge ma'am instead of your honor. And I was in Los Angeles Los Angeles municipal court rules there. It's literally a rule. You can be held in contempt for calling them anything, but your honor. And so I called her ma'am, which I was raised, you know, in a very polite household. And I did martial arts my whole life. It was like, that was, you would say that to the queen, you know, and it was so ingrained in me. And it was astounding because I explained that to the person. She actually called me into chambers. So like, I'm this new lawyer getting griped out for using a term of respect that the lady didn't like, because I think, it, you know, it was more because of her feminist ideology that was rubbed wrong by that than by the municipal court rules because she's she like pulled out the rules like once early on as a way of saying I could put you in jail and then gave me this dissertation about you know why my penis was oppressing people everybody Uh, and it, it was so weird because I was like I will do my best first of all because I was raised to be a gentleman and that means you make the other person comfortable however that requires you know whatever that takes you do that so cool i'll do my best not to call you ma'am but i was just boggled that this this person who's supposed to be there to determine matters of huge import is going to take half an hour to lecture me about calling her what most of the world would deem a term of respect you know right and things like the judge falling asleep it was just weird you'd get really good judges who are like really still trying to do the best they can in a crushing system. You know, they've got a caseload that's ridiculous and they're still really trying to do it. And then there was other people. It was like, all right, well, this is as close as I'll ever to be. I'll ever be to being God. So I'm going to make the most of it. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I think, I think the, the big issue is uh, I think sometimes people forget judges are actually humans. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I, I think judges boy. forget that. <laughs> yes, that was what I was going to say. It's like, and, and look, it's not just judges. It's anyone who's put into a position of power. It's funny because like I'll go to a Comic-Con and I'll spend three days of people like my assistants are there to make my life easier. You know, they're like pushing me to places and they're helping me do stuff. And if I need a glass of water, they go get it because it's like the Michael Brent show. You know, it's it's the whole purpose that I'm there is to be there for the fans and they're there to help that. So they're doing all this stuff for me. And then of course fans will come up and it's super weird and jarring to have someone start crying because they're meeting their favorite author. You know, like you always kind of want to go like I pooped yesterday, you know, like we're pretty normal people. Um, and I'm a wreck. So even less to respect, you should talk to my wife about the catheter and the rubber underpants. But after three days of that, like I come home and boy, that's a real wake up call because I'm just a dad and a husband. It's like, remember how important you were yesterday? You're not anymore. (laughs) Yeah, we don't care about all that stuff. (laughs) Oh, at all. At all. What uh, what was it? So you're an international bestselling author. What was it that uh, was kind of the impetus to move you from 
being an attorney to writing or did you start writing <laughs> while you were an attorney and how, how did yeah. that all come come to pass so i always wanted to be a writer but i didn't want to be and it's not because i have anything against these people it's more like i'm risk averse but i didn't want to be that like 45 year old guy bringing women into his mom's basement and being like any day baby my band's gonna be huge you know and just never happening so i always wanted to have a family and take care of a family so i became an attorney and then i was writing on the side and it was really funny because my wife got really sick and so i essentially went part-time as a partner in los angeles to help my wife out you know which didn't go over big but it was really funny because when they called me in to say things aren't working out we'd like you to sell your share in the company because it was you know i was a partner uh, and leave because you're not doing a good enough job for us they spent like six seconds on how much time i'd been there and then talked about how i was writing on the side like i'd been cheating on them and it was the weirdest thing so i wanted to be a lawyer and be stable and have you know like better dental insurance than a crack whore and write on the side and be safe. And the writing on the side was a huge factor in getting booted from the law firm. Um, and that's, I have nothing against them. Like I really was there half-assing it because I was had so much stuff happening in my life and with my wife and my own health was deteriorating. But it wasn't like a choice where I went, no, I'm gonna go out and let myself be free and you know, wave my bird wings and see if I can fly. It was more like, well, I have no job. And nobody wants to hire a lawyer right now. So I better make money as a writer. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that'll help get you going. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we were talking about like writing at two in the morning. I mean, I can remember I wrote a book called The Loon that was a ended up being quite popular and was like a top 100 overall seller on Amazon and stuff like that. I wrote most of that at freaking two in the morning, just falling asleep because I would be taking care of my wife and she's still having her health issues. And then I'd spend half a day nursing myself and then playing with the kids. And it's like, and now we're going to write and it's two 30 in the morning and I'm falling asleep. I was, I was waiting for the reviews to be like, this guy was clearly on drugs, you know, because <laughs> I just expected it to be incoherent. <laughs> hey, that doesn't mean it's not a good book. <laughs> oh yeah. Hey, Edgar Allan Poe, he was always on cocaine. Right. So, Hey, every, it works for some people, but yeah, it, it worked out for me, but it was really funny because I, to this day and this was 10 years ago i can just remember like falling asleep i felt like a trucker you know like falling asleep at the wheel and i'm trying not to drive the sentence into the opposite lane into oncoming traffic of grammar you know it's just get pummeled <laughs> yeah the uh oh, I, was, was it hemingway who said uh write drunk edit sober or something to that right. <laughs> Yeah. Same, same like it whenever, whenever you can. And, and it, you know, this too, it's like, if you're a family man, it changes the priorities and you have to provide, but you also have to provide stability and, you know, emotional health and all this other stuff. And then you like try and shoehorn all that other stuff. In around it. Yeah, it, it is a, uh, it's a, a puzzle. I, I probably still haven't cracked quite yet. Oh my gosh. If you do, please let me know, like yeah. immediately. <laughs> one, one thing I'm uh, looking at your body of work, one thing I'm impressed with is you kind of span uh, a, a lot of different genres in, in your writing. And uh, yeah. 
I, I, I'm, I'm curious as far as writing process, um, how, how difficult is it to transition or do you just get an idea and say, well, this is a, I mean, I think you're, it, it seems like you're probably most acclaimed in the horror realm. Yeah. Um, uh, but you have books that are not horror right. stories at all. Is it just yeah, an idea I, comes and you go or? Yeah. I mean, it's like any other job, like when you get into it um, and you're functioning at a certain level and I don't want to make myself sound like, you know, I'm the best writer of all time or anything. Cause I don't think that, but you know, I'm doing it full time and I'm a professional. So there's a quality level um, just as a base there. And that allows you to have some, I don't know, some certainty about yourself. I mean, we all kind of function with imposter syndrome. You know, I go to a comic con and someone's crying right here about meeting me. And then I go on a panel and I'm like, I should not be on this panel. Like everybody else here is amazing. And literally they'll be like, I'm a PhD in this or that. I wrote the best-selling book of all time in this or that. And it gets me and I'm like, I'm enthusiastic. That's my qualification. Um, but that being said, you know, you do it long enough. And you start to be able to play around a little bit with stuff. And I've never seen myself as like a horror writer. I mean, that is what I'm best known for, for sure. Um, but I always just kind of like to tell stories to people growing up. I was always the kid who halfway through the party, like the party would be half people over here doing normal things and half the people sitting here listening to me tell some rando event in my life, you know, because I could tell a good story. And so... I write horror mostly because I enjoy it and because it's awesome and fun and it definitely pays the bills. Um, but yeah, if I have like a really good idea for another genre, I've been really blessed that my readers will mostly be like, all right, well, it's got your name on it. We'll do that. <laughs> well, that's a plus once you get to that point where it's like, well, it doesn't matter if it's not what, what we expect, we're going to trust that it's going to be good anyways. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's helpful. It's just, and that goes to whole kind of my philosophy as a business person, which is that I'm there to be of service. You know, I'm not, a lot of artists are like, I follow my muse and I go where it takes me and I don't ever think about the audience. And that always kind of makes me laugh because first of all, in any other profession that there's a name for that. And that's a sociopath. Like I'm just going to do whatever I want and screw the customer. You know, like you're going to be fired from freaking Wendy's like that. A free bird. <laughs> yeah, but you can say it as an author or as, you know, a uh, actor or whatever because like we're supposed to be special. And I kind of eschew that that ideology, that idea. I'm like, "Hey, I'm here to serve you and and ultimately hopefully I am like Wendy's. Hopefully I'll give you a little mental hamburger." and you'll enjoy it and be fulfilled on some level. And maybe it'll be good for you, or maybe it'll be junk food. Some of my books are just like junk. They're fun. Um, but ultimately I'm really trying to do it for the audience. And I think they've responded to that. And they're like, this guy really likes me as a reader, you know, like, I don't know all of them, obviously, but they matter to me. And I try and listen to them. And like when Corona happened, um, my family and I kind of gathered together and we wanted to help out. And we're trying to think of the best way we could do it. And I was like, okay, we're going to put all my books on sale for 99 cents because I'm in India. I can do that. And we figured we could probably do that for like a week or two. Cause that was a 90% royalty hit. Um, and I'm eating that in my pockets, you know, but my family was on board. The kids were like, yeah, we got to do that. It'll cause people are losing their jobs. They are cooped up inside. Let's do it. So it lasted a year and a half. 
because my audience was just like, this guy really cares. And they're telling all their friends, you should read this person because he's a cool person, you know, and he's worried about you. So I think that's really helpful. Just getting through life now, especially just kind of letting people know that you genuinely care about them, that you're not one of the people that would just step over their body in the gutter. <laughs> right. You're, you're actually a human being with a uh, heart and a soul and a conscience. <laughs> yeah. And I have my crappy days, you know, and just like the person in the gutter does, but I don't know. It just, I feel like we are in that stage where it's like, if you look wrong or, you know, if you said pro mask or anti mask, as you keeled over, you know, 50% of the population is going to be like, well, I'm glad you're dead. You know, <laughs> it's just right. messed up. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a landmine. <laughs> just yeah. Have, having an opinion. It's, yeah. It's even beyond having an opinion. It's just it, <laughs> any choice you make incidental or not. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. It's seriously. It's like, you can rub somebody. And that was one thing, like I was on a panel once and there was a trans person. And again, like this person's going through changes in their life physically. And I didn't know how they preferred me to address them. So I just asked, you know, and, and the thing that boggled me wasn't what that they were upset but that they assumed my question was a loaded one. Like I was making a judgment about them. And it was really like, I would like to address you in the manner that you prefer. Please let me know what that is so I can do that in front of everybody. And it was just nuts because, you know, I had nothing but respect for this person. And she got so mad at me because her assumption, her default was you're doing this out of cruelty instead of out of ignorance. And, and that's, I think, the most dangerous attitude that's prevalent today is this assumption that if somebody slights me, it was a malignant, purposeful action, right? rather than maybe just they didn't know any better or had a bad day or any of a billion things that are more likely than like, I'm ready to commit genocide on your people, whatever they are. Yeah, it's, it's actually, I've, somebody pointed out, even on my podcast, where I'll make a joke about uh, and I already told you, I'm, I'm, I'm not right or left. I'm different. <laughs> but, you put them all against the wall. But if I, if I make a joke <laughs> about somebody and the guest gets defensive, it's like, well, don't, I, I hate, I hate, the, you know, if I make a joke about Biden, I'll say, oh, no, I hate Trump, too. Or if I make a joke <laughs> about Trump, I hate Biden, too. Don't get. And it's like self-defense. Like, don't, don't, don't put me in a corner, right. please. I swear to right. God, I'm not I, a bad person. I'm not against you. Just because yeah, I made I'm a not, joke. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know what I will say? Like I went and saw a group called, what were they? the Capital Steps? It's like a comedy troupe. And that was one of the most fantastic comedy events I'd ever been to because they just skewered everybody. It was like every single person running for major office was lampooned and roasted mercilessly. And it was really wonderful because you were like they don't have an agenda i mean they're really taking shots at everybody and it was kind of freeing it was a really good example in a way i'm like you know what maybe if we could all just make fun of our people as well everyone would have less of a heart attack you know like i'm i'm a member of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints i'm you know mormon and people make a mormon joke if it's mean-spirited like if it's like i wish you'd all be murdered that's not really funny but anything short of that, I'm going to be the first person to laugh about it. You know, it, it, we just need to take ourselves a little bit less seriously. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, uh, that's it. That's a, 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 
Well, interesting. The people I was going to bring up, and I'm curious, uh, you probably even might have a hint where I'm going with it. I was going to say it's crazy that the people who are most offended were raised on, on South Park. (laughs) <laughs> and and now that raises an obvious question to what <laughs> you've probably seen or i get well the book of mormon is a musical i believe that they made yeah yeah and, and i don't you know what, i don't know a thing about it but i'm assuming it's not complimentary no actually i haven't i haven't seen it and that's for a number of reasons first and foremost being i live in idaho so like broadway plays don't hit here that often um but I actually have a bunch of friends who are members of the church who love it. You know, I, I, and that's those guys, the guys who created South Park. It's really funny because they toss um, the Latter-day Saint church in their show with South Park periodically. And if you boil down, it's almost always complimentary. Everyone mm-hmm. assumes they're like mean and stuff. But I'm like, they made a joke where it was something like, who's in heaven? Sorry, guys, everyone's wrong. It's actually the Mormons, you know, stuff like that. Um, and the Book of Mormon, from what I understand, it's an expletive laden uh, show. And that makes some people uncomfortable. And that's their choice. That's fine. Um, but as far as mean spiritedness, and again, that's the thing that I care about. Like, if you come out punching and trying to hurt me or mine, because you hate us, um, that's something to be defensive about the us, whoever us is, you know, but most of the time, our perception is that, and the reality is someone is just making a joke or goofing or saying something that they don't know is wrong. You know, it's like if I turned off the TV every time somebody got law wrong on television because I assumed that the writers just had it out for lawyers, you know, and like I used to be a lawyer and that's not okay. Like I'd never watch television. <laughs> right. <laughs> And so I'm just like, I just go, "Ah, I assume they don't know any better or they have time constraints or they've got a sponsor or whatever, you know? So if somebody is advocating for hurting a group of people, that's not okay. But if somebody and I are just talking and they make a social error, it's like, well, I'm going to ask them to not do that again because it hurt my feelings. And I would expect that they would say, oh, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. And then I am then supposed to say, totally cool you didn't know you know but now it's like the instant somebody says something wrong well thunderdome you know like here it goes (laughs) well from my experience the most patient and kind people are mormons so they're they're the group that (laughs) that can't and and that's why the the episode that is definitely most offensive i would say towards mormons is actually a string of episodes they did with almost every religion where they basically said your beliefs yeah. are dumb, which they've said yeah. about not they've did it about Christianity, uh, Scientology. They they've done it on all of them. I think the Mormons were the second one, but they ended the episode being like, "But they're the nicest people. <laughs> like, <laughs> why why are we being mean to them?" <laughs> and it was like, well, we have to be nice. We we had to get along in high school at a party where everybody's blasted and everybody knows we're going to remember whatever happens here. So like we have to prove it's okay. We're really nice. We're not going to blackmail you. <laughs> well, the uh, the storm in Mormon Taysom Hill is also starting for my football team this week. So there you go. <laughs> we're good at sports and singing and you know just general chipperness. <laughs> 
he is by all accounts the best teammate so i don't i don't know that that speaks to anything except he's from idaho also so. <laughs> everybody's nice everybody's nice here everybody it, it, except the cable people <laughs> seems like a lot of people who live in that mountain west area are just a little more uh i don't know if i'd say relaxed but they're uh definitely less hostile yeah well oh we moved <laughs> to Idaho from, from Los Angeles. So, and it was the whole, I'd been fired and I'm trying to make a living as a lawyer, but it's not work or as a writer and it's not working yet. Cause it's not like you just apply to be a bestseller and some boss goes, yeah, sure. We'll do that. You know, like you have to grow it. And so we did end up doing the thing I tried to avoid, which was living in my mom's basement and um, we're moving in to Idaho, unloading boxes, this Los Angeles family, and while we're doing it, this little kid, like two years old, I'm not kidding, walks in. First of all, he looks like a Norman Rockwell joke. Like he had bib, bib overalls on, roll up to the knees, no t-shirt. All he needed was like a piece of straw hanging out of his mouth to be just a stereotype. And he just walks in without knocking or anything, looks around, kind of nods, and then walks out. And my immediate reaction was like, oh, that's someone working for a gang. We've just been cased. They're going to roll us tonight, you know? And my mom's like, it's just the neighbor kid. He was just curious. I'm like, he just walked in the door. Was he oh, wearing red or Idaho. blue? <laughs> <laughs> Bib overalls. They're all blue. It's okay. Oh, okay. So, so you, know what, you know what gang he was from there. <laughs> oh my God. But seriously, and then that like literally that same day, it was such a welcome to Idaho because my wife's pregnant and there was these teenagers out front and they're all smoking. And it's outside, whatever. But it was in front of my wife's main vehicle that she's going to be using. And she's prego. So I don't want her to be inhaling smoke. And I walk out and I am so ready to be shivved. I mean, I'm ready for all of them to pull out like sharpened toothbrushes and just go Shawshank on me hard. And I'm like, excuse me, guys. Um, my wife is pregnant. And, you know, like I'm just going about it in the most lemur, unaggressive fashion, I can make myself do it. And these guys were like, sir, our apologies are without number. We did not know that a prank, you know, it was like this Shakespearean level apology as they move away. And I was just like, I like it here. <laughs> <laughs> how much has, um, uh, how much has that, how much has the move helped? One thing I, I brought up in a prior episode uh, I think actually the last episode uh, that I did um, was about how when I when I write things and I, I typically I'm always writing things for screenplays as opposed for novels, which mm -hmm. has its own difficulty level that I probably should should have uh, tried to figure out first. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I always I'm in St. Petersburg, Florida, and almost everything I write tends to be based very much in the city where I live. I've lived here my whole life. Um, how much has, I mean, Los Angeles and Idaho are quite different places. Yeah. <laughs> how much has that opened or helped you? And, and I don't know where you may have lived even before Los Angeles, but how does that help you with your, with your writing? It helps a lot. So like I lived in Paraguay, I was a missionary in South America and a really, I mean, it's a third world country. If you had to give South American enema, it would go where I lived, you know, it's, it's, but the people were so 
nice and so lovely. And then Los Angeles is its own little monster and Idaho is its own separate entity. So it's helped having that range of things, you know, to, I don't only associate with kind of blue collar working class or with white collar job people. I, cause I've got family that do all that stuff. I've done all that stuff, you know, yeah, I was a lawyer, but I put myself through college, like doing menial jobs and I've dug ditches and dug sewers and, you know, and I've dug wells in South America. So it's really helped to do that. Um, and it is fun being in Idaho because I, a lot of my books are set in Idaho. And part of that's just kind of me going like, I don't know, I've never read a book that happens in Idaho. Like <laughs> it just makes it kind of unique. <laughs> Well, and yeah, that, that's that's what I always think. You know the intricate details. You can paint a picture that yeah. uh, is different, but it's also accurate, and and you can actually nail the details by having been to these different places. Yeah, one one of my favorite things was I wrote a series called The Colony Saga, and it's a zombie apocalypse story. It's seven books, and first of all, it happens in Boise, the capital of Idaho. So I'm walking around these big buildings in downtown Boise, uh, Boise looking like the Unabomber because that's how writers look I'm all unshaven in my big trench coat and I'm walking around the bottom and it's so funny because security obviously they see this frighteningly like person who looks like they're about to go off the rails at any second and they converge and like what are you doing here and because I'm an idiot the thing I say is I'm trying to figure out how to destroy this building because that's going to happen in the book. And it was so funny because these guys go on such high alert. And then I, I go, Oh, it's okay. I'm a writer. And a hundred percent of the threat level dropped. It was like, Oh, he's safe because writers are totally incompetent. Like if he was good at life, he wouldn't be a writer. So there's no, even if he wanted to bomb us, it won't work out. So like I look around this whole thing, figure out how to bring the building down with a horde of zombies and then my favorite scene in the whole series is these people are running through downtown idaho and around the corner comes a huge farm thresher you know one of those things with the big spinning metal wheels just chopping zombies up down the mowing them down as it goes through the lane and it was so fun because having lived here a couple of years at that point i knew you could see like a mall and then a cornfield and then a nice house and then in a cornfield, you know, <laughs> and it was really cool being able to pull that juxtaposition for that particular book. So, yeah, I mean, I tell authors research can be a four letter word because for a lot of authors, it's a rabbit hole. They get lost in it. They get confused by it. And we all want to get it so right. Like if you're writing a book about a submarine, I tell people you want to write it, you want to research it so well you lie convincingly. You don't worry about the submarine captain. He's not reading your book. And if he is, <laughs> it's one person, you know, like I had a review for one of my books. Um, it was called The Deep and it's got a lot of scuba diving and I researched the heck out of it. In the opening scene, I write a couple of things that are just physically impossible. And one of the reviewers dinged me for it. And I was like, you know what? Screw you, I did it on purpose for the drama. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not a true story <laughs> yeah yeah so it's helpful to live places and to see places like my family and i are going on a trip to las vegas in a while and one of my series is called um 
uh, I am Legion and the main character that is going to run into a family in Las Vegas. So like, I'm going to be sitting here on my family vacation, writing notes and stuff like that. So it's helpful to know more, but at a certain point we're lying for a living. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's not, uh, it is not all based on, uh, on, on true, uh, true life. Yeah. Uh, or spoiler it, can alert. Based, it can be based on true life, but it doesn't need to have actually happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've never ax murdered somebody and that features prevalently in several of my books. I would imagine. <laughs> um, I should ask you because I've let time get away from me a little bit. Do you have a few more minutes or do you have to? Run? Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Um, I did want to talk to you. Um, we kind of touched on it a little bit and I've, I've talked about this topic on my podcast a few times. So I thought this is another good time to bring it up. Um, is this the nudity thing? Yes, actually. So <laughs> give me a second. I'll bring it up. <laughs> bah, 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 bah. <laughs> um. No, I did watch your your uh, your TED talk uh, oh. that you did, and uh, it was phenomenal. And I'll I'll Thank link you. that uh, with with all your other links, um, including the link uh, that says for a free uh, book and uh, the website. Because uh, <laughs> this uh, is radio. <laughs> I'll put a screenshot out though, so they'll see that. That that'll look good. Nice. Um, but uh, your your TED talk was phenomenal. Um, I'm someone who's uh, come close twice to to committing suicide with mm. very similar. Um, uh, you you talked about and don't let me take anything out of context here because I'm not a mental health expert, folks. <laughs> but but uh, uh, you talked about major depressive disorder and and basically the idea and this is what. Sadly, I, I understand it, and people don't understand a lot of times when they talk about uh, mental health issues and suicidal thoughts and stuff, is that you truly believe, obviously not all the time, but you truly believe when you're in the throes of it that the world would be better off if I was not a part of it. Yeah. Um, how, what's been, uh, as much as you're comfortable talking about what's been your journey in dealing with it and living with it without it, well, uh, without it killing you, basically. <laughs> well, first of all, I'm, I'm very comfortable talking about, it. I think that's one of the big things is, you know, when I do talk about it, people go, oh, you're so brave to talk about this. And I think I'm not really being brave. Like, I, actually, if you think about it, I am self-serving because the more I talk about it, the more likely I have help for it. You know, mm -hmm. if I'm suffering in silence, you don't want to be the person that opens their wrists and everyone goes, I didn't even know, you know, you want people to be aware of. It's just like, if you're going to go to a football game and people invite you to play, you say, no, my leg is shattered. I can't play. <laughs> you know? And nobody goes like, well, if you smile more, your leg would feel better and you could play football. You know, that's just nonsense. And we need to have the same attitude about mental health stuff. You know, if somebody says, um, you know, can you do this particular thing? It has to be okay to say like, look, today, my big journey is going to the bathroom. Like that's as human as I'm going to be today. Um, and I can't do this extra thing. You know, I like to help people and I like to, you know, do service when I can. I actually got an email today from someone who was like, can you help me with a student project for a PhD? And normally I would say yes, because I love doing stuff like that for people. But I also 
I'm out of time this year. Like I'm literally out of time that I can devote to other things. And I tried to do too much earlier in the year and it took a toll on my mental health. So you have to be able to say, no, I'm, I'm full, you know, um, as far as my journey, it was just like a lot of people. I, I can remember, um, my dad has severe, severe depression as well. And I can remember kind of my, the day my childhood ended was, um, my mom just sitting next to me in the car and I'm like 10 or 11 and she was worried about something and she confided and I'm sure she was just having that terrible day and it blurted out, you know, she's a great mom, but she was like, I just worry every time your dad walks out the door, that'll kill himself. You know, that that'll be the last time we see him. And my dad is still around. He's hung in there. So when I started exhibiting some of those same signs, you know, I can remember rolling over in bed as a teenager and just thinking like, I'm, I wish I could close my eyes and never open them again. And it wasn't, a, I want to kill myself. It was just, I wish I, none of this would go on. And it, it was a horrible feeling, you know? So the first thing that I was lucky, I had at least a family life that my dad loves us and my mom loves us. And in spite of the mental health issues that really affected us, there was love there. And so I had that basis for being like, you know, just because you have this problem, it doesn't make you unlovable at all. You know, it's again, it's a sickness and it's hard for other people to understand it because if your bone is broken, like if your leg is jutting out of your skin, they're like, I think you might be injured, you know, <laughs> and with depression, it's like, well, what's hurting? And you go, I'm very sad today, you know, and <laughs> Yeah. It just doesn't explain well. Um, so you do have to be able to express it to people. Um, and it'll take a while. That's a real thing too, is I advocate that anybody who's got mental health issues do their darnest on their good days to be out there helping other people. And part of that's because it just makes us feel good. And part of that's because the more you're out there involved with people selfishly, the more you're going to matter to those people, you know, and on one level, if you're having a bad day, those are the people that will be more likely to struggle to help you. And in a super perverse, but it's effective, those people, when you're really down, at least me, I know I'm like, well, I can't kill myself today because that would be inconvenient for my kids. And that's literally what I'm saying is like, there would be a mess to clean up and I don't want to put that on them because yeah. though I'm worthless, they have value and I don't want to mess their day up cleaning up their freaking dad's body. <laughs> that's so, literally uh, as, as sad as it is. And that that's hits me. And I, I did say this on a podcast I was on, um, but the very first time I was considering committing suicide, the, the reason I didn't, it's because it took me too long to figure out a convenient way to kill myself that my family wouldn't have to clean up after. Yeah. Um, so I probably shouldn't say what I determined just to be safe. No, <laughs> don't give people ideas. Yeah, no, no, no. That's uh, thinking about it. I should keep that to myself. But yeah, um, but that was it. That was exactly the and then uh, I, the second time, frankly, a phone call from my mother where she said something 
where I realized, oh, she's going to blame herself if I get off the phone with her and kill myself. Yeah. So I'm going to wait a week and then I'll yeah. kill myself. She won't feel bad. <laughs> well, listen, in my head, it said, made sense. <laughs> you just said some. No, that's perfect. Those are really good things because I mean, it exhibits a couple of really important things, which is number one, like don't ever make a permanent decision for a situation that's going to be temporal you know it's going to pass and the problem with depression and, and disorders like that is my wife calls them my my sadness goggles because when you're depressed everything forward and backwards like i could have been having the best day yesterday and i will look back and be like i traumatized my children the way i laughed was wrong you know, I took them to a movie and yes, they loved it, but my daughter was scared and had a bad dream and she's going to be a murderer and it's going to be my fault. You know, like we see things that way. Um, so no matter how bad you feel, just say like, let me do this tomorrow or the next day or the next day. And then when that day rolls around, go, well, let's just wait till tomorrow. You know, like, well, there's always a better time. Let's let's wait till a really opportune time to off ourselves and then just keep pushing it off. Um, another thing I've done is I literally have a list of dates on my uh, mirror in my bathroom and I just write them in erasable marker, you know, so they change from time to time. But they're great days. You know, at the end of the day, I feel good. The kids are happy. The wife is happy. And as a family, look, family is just the words god's petri dish of angst and disease didn't test well so they replaced it with the word family you know it's <laughs> it's there's always stuff happening um but in spite of that stuff it was a great day and i'll write that on the mirror and then on those days where i'm feeling really low either i can look at it and see intellectually something's different today yesterday i thought the day was perfect so let's wait until those ideas align again or sometimes my wife is like remember that day that day we picked out a christmas tree or we went and watched the movies or visited family or whatever that thing was because you can't take those sadness goggles off and that's something a lot of people don't understand they're like well if you would just try to smile more <laughs> like that's that's so stupid and they don't mean it to be stupid or mean, but it's just ignorant. You can't smile your way through a disease. It's going to run its course. And even like I'm a person of faith and some people of faith are like, well, if you prayed harder and I'm like, well, you know, Jesus got nailed to a tree at the end of it all. So obviously bad things still happen. You can't pray away everything that's that's kind of against the purpose of things like if you believe you're here to learn and grow and stuff so you're going to suffer these days and you can't take off those goggles and so you do have to come up with you know strategies and some of them are just going to be support groups they're going to be those people that you need to surround yourself with who will hold you my wife takes away the car keys some days good for her you know she knows me well enough because i've let her into my life um, and some of them are intellectual, you know, I can't feel hopeful today. I have no hope whatsoever of feeling good today. Hope is gone in that respect. But you know what I found that was a trick that worked is I can hope that tomorrow I'll be hopeful. Like I can't hope it's going to be good, but I can hope that tomorrow I'll be able to hope it's good. And sometimes that's, it sounds silly, but it's just enough of a nudge to be like, yeah, well, let's wait till tomorrow and see what happens. 
um, ultimately whatever keeps you going, because that's the real secret is just like breathe in every time you breathe. out. <laughs> yeah. That's uh one, uh, somebody I talked to on here before. Um, well, I'll tie it into a couple things that conversations I've had, but one person asked me, are you afraid that you're going to get those suicidal feelings again? I'm like, I'm not, a, I, I'm afraid of when I get them. I know I'm going to get them yeah. again. If I, unless I die of some other cause, I'm, right. I'm going it's a to get them again. And yeah. somebody I talked to said, it's like that bad part of a tire. You're going to get that bump. And as long as you can last, keep, keep going while that flat spot on the tire hits. Yeah. You'll be fine. But pick up speed a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, even I, more. <laughs> yeah. Well, and my my thing is I've been very private about it until probably until I started my podcast this year. Um, but I but I said my other strategy is and, and like you have with your wife, um, just build build a safety net. So guess what? With yeah, I know that if I'm feeling this way, I I owe it to these people to at least reach out to them and they'll know. Don't yeah. you know, hey, I need to spend a second to to make sure uh, he's OK. Yeah. The one thing that I would say unabashedly to anybody suffering, the the only like 100 percent mistake you can make is shut yourself off, mm -hmm. you know, because as soon as you shut yourself off, you know, you do create a space where it's safe to hurt yourself or to make bad decisions, because the more shut you off, shut off you are from other people, the less impact you have. You know, and you don't want to be in a place where you have no impact because then, geez, who does care if I'm gone? You know, so again, the more you can get out there and people are okay with it. You know, if this was 50 years ago, my father didn't get diagnosed with depression until he was in his 40s because you weren't allowed to. You would be treated as a leper or a pariah. And now people are okay about it. Um, I have an email list that's got tens of thousands of people who read my books. I'm really grateful for that. And, um, and I'm, I'm telling that because not to brag, but it matters to the story. So I wrote an email to everybody. Um, they get on my email list and they get a weekly email from me with deals on books and things, but I also will tell them stuff about my life. And I said, I screwed up an email last week. I sent, I sent an email that was supposed to be to this group of like 50 people to all 30,000. <laughs> and I was so embarrassed and I was so upset. And because I have these mental quirks, it blows up out of proportion. So I wrote this really long email explaining I had had some real serious medication issues this last year. So they really adversely impacted me. We had to cut a uh, family vacation short. We were going camping and we had to, I said, we have to go because I kept seeing my kids' bodies floating down the river. And I knew it wasn't real, but I was still seeing it because I do have psychosis issues as well. And, um, and I just couldn't handle it. So I told 30,000 of my closest friends, you know, this deep, dark thing. And all I meant it was as I'm really sorry, I screwed up and I hope I didn't hurt anyone's feelings or anything like that. Cause in my head I had done that. And I, within like 15 minutes, I had close to a thousand emails, all of which were like, dude, we're here for you don't judge yourself so harshly, you know, and to get that many emails in the space of an hour. And that's not because I'm the most important thing in their life. I'm really not. I mean, I'm an author and I'm glad they read me, but they've got families and friends. And I know that, 
but to have that many perfect strangers just reach out and say, hey, we're here for you. Think about the people in your life, whoever's listening to this. You've got people that are closer to you than those random strangers. You matter to them. And tell yourself that, write it across your bathroom mirror, you know, I matter to mom, Johnny, Susie, you know, even if it's like, well, the creepy pervert who stares in through my blinds would have less to look at. Well, if that's what it takes to keep you alive, then write that. <laughs> Maybe that's what's keeping him going. <laughs> hey, you know, I, that's why I did that all the time as a young man, it was public service. I was just, you know, making connections. That's a joke. I never did that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's be clear. <laughs> No, and that's, uh, you know, that I'm, I, I'm glad it's not the right word, but I, um, we're, uh, you, the mention of what your, the psychosis, the vision you had, um, I, that's, that's my biggest thing with uh, my children. And uh, a lot of times I, I like to credit it to handling car accident claims where sometimes there would be some nasty results but you would just envision these horrible things i used to drop my kids off for sunday school uh and they had to walk across the parking lot to go to their classroom from where you drop Mm -hmm. them off and i would literally just sit outside that building and wait until they crossed the street because i knew for a fact they were going to get hit by a car and i saw it so I just buried them. Like, what am I going to do? Stop. A, like I, I to this day, I'm like, I'm not sure why I camped out there because I was far enough away that I didn't want to look weird, but I was there. <laughs> so, so, so if a car was going to come and hit them, I was going to, I don't know what I was planning to do to stop the car from a quarter mile away, but yeah. And you can't, I was the same way. Like I couldn't take my kids to the park. I mean, you were in insurance while well, I, my job is, you know, eight hours a day imagining how to kill people and stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, so like when my first, well, first of all, we lost a daughter and that really messes you up as a parent. So our first kid that we were able to take to the park, I couldn't hack it. I just kept seeing them falling, you know, their brains all over the place. And, and that's life too. We all have our baggage and our trauma. I think, you know, you look at those people who are like a hundred years old and they're still doing chin-ups and they're, you know, out lap dancing and doing like all these adventurous things. And I climbed Kilimanjaro last year for my 87th birthday. And I think as much as anything, those people, they have just kind of done their best not to let their scars determine their choices. Cause we all have them. We all have our fears and we all have our baggage. And it's just a question of like, you're going to take the baggage everywhere. You have to, unless you get a pull through the brain that knocks those memories out, you have to take that baggage with you. So the choice is, well, am I going to make the bags choose whether I take the stairs or the ramp, or am I just going to decide to take the ramp because that's what my friends are doing. And it's awesome. You know, or am I going to take the stairs because that's what my friends are doing. And that's awesome. And or because it's what I've always wanted to do or whatever. So, you know, we have to roll with that. We have if you have those thoughts and obviously as a parent, I finally had to say we're going. And that was mostly because I was so upset. I was yelling at people, you know, get out, get out of the river. And it was ruining their vacation. So I was like, let's go home. I won't see that stuff. And we'll watch movies for the next two days. Like we'll have a 
a staycation kind of a thing. And that worked out fine. So you do have to make allowances, but you don't want to let your fears be the only determinant. That is a wrecked life. Right. No, that's well said. And, uh, you know, as I, as I say, anytime I get into the, uh, the serious stuff, um, you know, obviously I'm not a mental health expert. Um, but I do think the main thing is that people should be comfortable talking about how they feel and, yeah, you know, outside of a therapist's office, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to therapy too, you, to each their own, but you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you're, you know, you, you want to, uh, there, there shouldn't be a stigma. It's not uh, a weakness. It's a uh, actually to your your TED talk. Uh, you know, you, you can still be a superhero with a with a kryptonite. I, I don't know if you yeah. specifically said that, but so, probably something close to it. It's part of what makes Superman awesome is he's got a weakness that he has to face. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, before I let you go. Um, and before I tell you to give your plugs, I also want to say, since you have so many books, if someone is wanting to jump uh, into reading your books, what would you recommend as the jumping off point? And you can have oh multiple gosh, answers. <laughs> that is hard because I do so many genres. You know, it's like if you're right. in a romance, I'm going to tell you to look at the Baxter romances, probably not the one where the guy tortures people, you know, um, just I would say. Google my name. It's Michael Brent and it's all one word. So you can just Google that. I'm the only Michael Brent in the world. You don't even have to worry about my last name and you'll get my Amazon page and just like flip through until you see an interesting cover that looks like your genre. You're going to find one because I've written close to 50 books and they really do. They span from fiction and nonfiction, horror to romance and everything. Um, If you're a horror person, I just had a book come out a, a month ago called Malignant. Um, that's doing awesome. It's got like a 4.8 or 4.9 review average on Amazon and people are really liking it. Um, or there's my I Am Legion series, which is about a serial killer who a family is literally sealed into their home by this guy who wants to have quality time with them um, and teach them some aggressive lessons, you know. And by the end of the series where it is now he's the good guy so he's become this sort of avenging angel and if like he's hardcore if you go through the 15 items or less aisle in the supermarket with 18 items he'll break three of your fingers because that'll help you count better you know so he is really hardcore but people really like that series and that one starts with the book strangers so Strangers, Malignant, those are my horror ones. The Baxter Romances, Baxter Homestead Romances by Angelica Hart, because that's my chick pen name. Um, or seriously, just go on my Amazon page. Look around till you find something. Gotcha. I saw that on your website. I'm like, does he have a co-writer or is that a... <laughs> I was curious about <laughs> It's just about because, that. look, it is radio. But if you looked at me, first of all, some people who write or who read romance, they don't want to read it from a guy. And the ones who do don't want to read it from a guy who looks like me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's we were talking earlier about uh, the podcast being uh, I generally only release a screenshot. It's like I've, <laughs> I've got a face for podcasting. I don't want oh, totally. people looking at my face for an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, just out of respect. <laughs> yeah, I got a decent voice. 
you know, let's yeah, go with let's that. Let's focus on my good points. <laughs> uh, anywhere else, and I'll put all, all the links in the show notes. Anywhere else people should go to find you? Definitely. Now, honest, if you just Google my first name, you're going to get my Amazon page and my website, which is writteninsomnia.com written insomnia books that keep you up all night and um you know my facebook page and all that stuff and i i try and interact as much as i can with fans so you know follow me on facebook or twitter or whatever and we'll do what we can awesome well all the links will be below in the show notes uh which i don't know if my listeners know how to how to access that or not it's probably not the brightest <laughs> group of people i'm kidding i'm kidding you're wonderful <laughs> all right well thank you so much uh i really this was a great time and uh uh great great conversation i enjoyed having you it was a delight thanks jeff i appreciate it Well, that was it. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Michael Brent Cowlings, thanks for coming on. Again, really fun time talking with him. And uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, check out some of his books. All those links are below. So that'll do it. Uh, I didn't get to record the uh, Christmas sibling episode I mentioned in a previous thing because uh, one of my sisters was unable to uh, make the sojourn up to Gilchrist County for the my brother's birthday birthday and also the Feast of the Seven Fishes, which is a, apparently an Italian Christmas thing that I have never done before. Uh, but there was a, a lot of fish in my belly on Saturday. Different fish. Anywho, uh, as I've said, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hey, do me a favor. Do Follow me on all those socials and like the Facebooks. Uh, If you want to see stuff on YouTube, subscribe to YouTube. If those numbers go up, I promise I will put out more video content. I'm not sure what exactly, but I will put more out there. Uh, So feel free to contact me whichever way you feel best if you feel like you want to contact me. So that's it. Again, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Stay safe out there and stay warm unless you live in Florida, where uh, next week on my birthday, it'll be in the 80s. So that's nice. All right. Peace.